You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Jewish Matters Podcast. Tonight, in our Great Jewish Personalities, we will be talking about Theodore Herzl, the father of modern Zionism. And Theodore Herzl changed the course of Jewish history and brought about a movement after 2,000 years of Jews being dispersed throughout the entire world, throughout the diaspora. He jump-started a political movement that led to the founding of the State of Israel. He served as its main proponent and spokesperson for a mere seven years until his premature death at 44 years old. And some say that it was the stress of fighting for a Jewish homeland that, uh, that caused his death. Now, how was political Zionism born? We have to first look at so much the larger background. And Zionism is a, I wouldn't say a movement, it's a out, an outlook that had been alive amongst the Jewish people for 2,000 years. We'd always yearned to return to Zion. We'd prayed to return to Zion. Over the millennia, some of our greatest leaders had moved to Israel and had done so. And Zionism had already existed. However, in the end of the 1800s, there started to be a new movement. And there were religious Zionist writers uh, who started to write about the return to Israel. Uh, the Chovavet Zion movement was the first wave, Aliyah Aleph, about five to 7,000 young, mostly young people who made Aliyah, and sponsored by Baron Herzog, who established some of the first communities. And what were the factors? Why was that, why at that point in history did this movement start to evolve? So the first point is that in the 1800s, especially by the end of the century, the nationalist movements, the idea of a nation state started to develop. Italy was being unified as a country, Germany, uh, throughout Europe, this idea of national empowerment was spreading. And the second point is that the Jewish Enlightenment, the greater awareness of the world around the Jewish community, uh, a more secular outlook of uh, taking history into one's own hands, started to emerge in Eastern Europe. The Haskalah, the Jewish Enlightenment, didn't emerge until the end of the 1800s, around this period. And that helped spur the Zionist movement as well. And finally, the third point was the renewal of anti-Semitism. At the end of the 1800s, we'll talk about the Dreyfus trial, and then by the turn of the 1900s, uh, the pogroms, uh, the, the Kushnev massacre, uh, also the dissemination of these events and the improvement in communications made it more conscious in all Jews' minds. So those were the three factors that started at this point, nationalist movements, the Jewish Enlightenment, and the renewal of anti-Semitism. So let's talk about Theodore Herzl. Herzl grew up in Budapest, and at 18 years old, his family moved to Vienna. He was from a largely assimilated family, or so it appears. Talk about that as well. He went to the University of Vienna to study law, 
but he became a journalist for a German language paper out of Paris. So how did this young assimilated Jewish journalist uh, start to uh, launch a movement of return to Zion? Historians have tr traditionally attributed it to the Dreyfus trial. Herzl covered the event for his newspaper and Albert Dreyfus was a young assimilated Jewish officer in the French army who was accused of treason and accused of spying for the Germans in the Franco-Prussian War. It came out about a year and a half after the accusations that they found the spy notes that were not in his handwriting and at that point it became clear that this was coming out of anti-Semitic sentiment. And generally you'll hear that uh, at that event, Herzl realized that anti-Semitism was endemic to Europe. He heard the chants of death to the Jews and on the spot he had an epiphany and realized we have to get the Jews out of Europe. However, the story is not so simple. First of all, what he reported was death to the traitor, not death to the Jews. So it's not clear that he saw it as an anti-Semitic incident, especially at the beginning. Furthermore, in 1895, a year into it, he wrote a work called The New Ghetto about a Jew who tries to break out of, into non-Jewish society. And some believe that there was anti-Semitic activist Karl Luger in Austria that might have triggered this. Uh, and at the same time in 1895, he also started to write pamphlets about the need for a Jewish state. And he said this was clear to him because of uh, anti-Semitism. And this was even before it was clear that the Dreyfus trial was so. So he started to disseminate these ideas. He was torn between his journalistic and literary careers and his Zionist passion. And the newspaper would not publish any of these Zionist Jewish articles. In 1896, he wrote Judenstadt, The Jewish State, and in his diaries he said that he was perplexed over the Jewish issue since 1881, since he was a young student, and it took him 13 years to realize that the Jews would have to get out of Europe, which would put that around the mid-1890s. His grandfather also uh, was religious. Where his grandparents were traditional, as was often the case. It skipped a generation. Uh, uh, the, the, his parents were very assimilated. But his grandfather read the works of Rabbi Yehuda Alkali, one of the early religious Zionists in the 1850s. And one could believe that since Herzl was close to his grandparents, that this might have had an influence on him as well. Now, in terms of his thought, what we have to realize is that Herzl was not a philosopher. He was a journalist, he was a playwright, he wrote a novel, and as such, uh, his presentation is pretty straightforward, which is that the Jewish people are a nation, which was a new idea. Before that, the non-Jewish world viewed us as a religion primarily, although a castigated religion and a separate people and, uh, but we were a nation without a state. And his view is that we'd be naturally drawn to the place where there would not be anti-Semitism. Uh, 
And the answer to this was to leave for the Jews, to leave Europe and go where? To Palestine. And in Altenneuland, Old New Land, in 1902, he wrote a novel. And there he states, through the protagonist, that this state would combine Jewish culture and the best of European heritage. And he said that this was an old idea, but in its new iteration of nationalism. And he did not see religion playing a role in the state, although he said it would be respected in the public sphere. But his view was religion was a private matter. And we'll see that he was uh, uh, clearly not religious at all. Okay, so how did the Zionist movement emerge? Uh, after he started to become more active and started to write and his pamphlets became popular, a British minister came upon one of his pamphlets, took interest in his writing, sought him out, and through him he eventually met Kaiser Wilhelm, the uh, ruler of Germany in 1898. And this meeting gave him even more legitimacy. He would then, his original plan was, Palestine was ruled by the Turks. See, Herzl was very pragmatic. He was a utopian, he had great vision, but at the same time, he was, uh, he saw things in very concrete terms. How do we need to proceed? And that was politically. And who was ruling Palestine? The Turks. So the his task was to get the Turks to agree to allow the Jews to return to Palestine. And in 1896, he met with the Grand Vizier of Turkey, and his proposal was to stabilize Turkish debt in return for letting the Jews return to Palestine. And he made the rounds of the Jewish philanthropists. It appears that he was not successful in garnishing large sums of money from them. But he didn't have to tell the Turks that. And so he played the Jewish banker card. Um, it would take him another five years till he actually met with the Sultan of Turkey. But, um, but all this activity certainly drew attention to him. And so when he returned to London, he, uh, crowds of thousands gathered to hear him speak. And he became the de facto uh, recognized leader of Zionism. Uh, he allied himself with other Zionist thinkers who right around these years were also coming out with these ideas and he said that he had not read them. Max Nordau, Moshe Hess, Pinsker, Israel Zangwill, who were skeptical of him at first but then came to embrace him. And so in 1897 he called for a World Jewish Congress where you would have a centralized body that could speak for the Jewish people and mobilize the Jewish people. And in the first conference, there were a few hundred delegates. And the next year, there were hundreds more in the 800s. And this steamrolled and rapidly picked up momentum. In 1898, a year later, he visited Palestine for the first time, and he timed his visit with that of Wilhelm II, the ruler of, uh, uh, of Austro-Hungarian Empire. And uh, the other initiatives, because in the early 1900s, as I mentioned, the pogroms started to become more publicized and the plight of Russian Jewry 
became more and more dire. So in 1902, he brokered what would become to known as the Elorish program. This, uh, the plan. This plan was to move the Jews, get permission from the Egypt, which was under uh, British uh, Commonwealth, to get permission from Egypt uh, to have Jews move to El Arish, which was right against the border of Palestine. Get them as close as you could. Uh, the uh, authorization never came through. However, a year later, the British offered, made a different offer. And this different offer is known as the Uganda plan. And it actually wasn't Uganda, it was Kenya. The British were building a railroad down East Africa and their vision of uh, why they were colonizing the world was to bring civilization, would be, which would be done by bringing Europeans to uh, East Africa. And they saw the Jews as a population that could help in this endeavor. The Uganda plan was fiercely debated in the Zionist Congress. And I have to say honestly that uh, although I have great love for the land of Israel, we made Aliyah two years ago, and I see the vision of the Jewish people returning and I'm living it. If I was there in 1903, I can't be so sure that I wouldn't have supported the Uganda plan because Jews were being slaughtered in Europe. And uh, even though Herzl was not the main driving force behind it, he supported it because he viewed that we have to save Jewish lives. Others and the religious uh, faction walked out on the Congress. They felt that this would divert from the efforts to bring Jews back to Palestine, back to Eretz Israel, back to the land of Israel, to our historical homeland, and that we should not divert the efforts away from Israel. And so uh, the next year, in 1904, uh, the uh, Uganda plan was dropped. And actually, we'll see that Tragically, um, Herzl never actually saw the final resolution of what appeared to be tearing apart the Zionist Congress. Now, in terms of uh, Herzl's family background, we have to comment about this. Because Sir, Sir Herzl did have a son, and he was not circumcised. Very... Uh, consciously not circumcised. At his funeral, uh, upon his death, uh, Herzl called, asked to be buried next to his father in a low-key, unceremonious uh, burial. It turned out that thousands of people came to his funeral. As I said, he had great popular support. And his son said Kaddish uh, at the funeral. So some traditionalism did seep in. Uh, Herzl had three children. And part of the great, great tragedy of his life, of him dying seven years into his movement at the young age of 44, run ragged by his attempts to help uh, European Jewry, um, his daughter Pauline 
a uh, number of years later, died of a heroin overdose and had mental health issues. And his son, her brother, committed suicide on the day of her funeral after having converted to Christianity and then come back to Jewish identity. So they were all three were very tormented. Trudy, his third daughter, had mental health issues and she was deported eventually to Theresienstadt. But her son, uh, she did have one son, fought, was sent to England during World War II. He took an interest in Zionism, uh, but he could not move to Israel uh, because the British had closed the doors. He did some speaking, but he was spurned by the Zionist officials uh, who saw him perhaps as competition. And he moved to the United States and also tragically took his life. And I have to say an aside here that unfortunately uh, there is a, uh, a uh, incidence of mental health history amongst the Jewish people. And we think a lot about uh, Holocaust survivors and their mental health and their survivor's syndrome. However, we have to realize that throughout the 1800s, throughout 1,500 years of Jewish history in the diaspora, we were uh, subject to persecution. And that takes its toll. And so we see that being played out in the tragedy that Herzl's uh, descendants would all eventually die, his three children and his one grandson. And even though they died, uh, his vision continued. However, we mentioned that his vision was to create a state that would really be a modern European state in the Middle East, that would have Jewish nationality, but he didn't see it imbued with any kind of Jewish uh, life, values, or that the content of the state. Now, what he viewed the role of Sephardic Jews in this uh, is not clear at all. How this country was uh, going to be a homeland for the Jews when it would be like any other country, although other countries in Europe have a strong national identity and culture and heritage. He did say that there would be a Jewish cultural heritage, which by then was really uh, Yiddish literature, theater, uh, the arts. And he was a very much came out of that milieu where the arts were really the content of national culture. But of course, the important element of uh, the Jewish content and the Jewish substance of the country he didn't address and wasn't really equipped to address and uh, did not envision it as part of what Israel should become. And that did set a direction for Zionism, for the political Zionist movement to be really an a-religious movement and sometimes an anti-religious movement uh, as more and more socialists came into the movement. And um, of course now it's taken much evolution and transformed itself. But what we can recognize and give credit for is that Theodor Herzl is the one who really jump-started Zionism as a political movement and laid the foundation for a national re for recognition across world Jewry of the need for a homeland, of the need to actively start to move to the homeland. Because in the religious community, and this is for another discussion, uh, there were some voices who viewed that it would be a divine movement. It would be a godly, 
brought about movement and it wasn't for the Jewish people to politically figure out how to uh, mobilize. There were always a trickle of religious leaders, older people who moved to Israel. By the mid-1800s, there was a Jewish majority in Jerusalem, but not a political movement per se. And the tragedy was that he knew he would not see the movement come to fruition, and he said so. And, uh, but the famous line of the utopian dreamer, if you will it, it is no dream, he wrote in uh, uh, The Jewish State. And the other famous quote attributed to Herzl is that uh, he said, maybe not now, maybe not next year, but mark my words, within 50 years, we shall have a Jewish state. And those words were spoken at the first Zionist Congress in 1897. And 50 years later to the date is when the United Nations would vote on a partition plan, uh, giving half of what was then Palestine to the Jewish people. So if you will it, it is no dream, the story of Theodore Herzl. Have a good evening, everyone.